Hello and welcome back to Brain Train. I'm your host, Martin Zotz-Alstwick. Now, regular listeners will remember uh, from a year ago, when our last episode was, Alice Bell was my regular co-host. Now, she sadly stepped off the Brain Train after a, over a year of working in the engine room, shoveling coal, and passed her overalls on to our new co-host, Rachel Suhami. I must say I look incredibly glamorous. You look great in those overalls. Thank you, Martin. Um, Hello, I'm Rachel. Um, I do museum-y things, Um, part academic, part exhibitions consultant, and I run a museum-themed cabaret called Museums Show Off. Oh, where could people find out about Museums Show Off? find that at museumsshowoff.org. And on the other side of the table, we have our guest today, uh, James Coglin. James, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yes, hello, I'm James, I'm a programmer, um, which means I spend uh, my days typing nonsense into computers to make them do stuff. Uh, I mostly work on the web um, and sometimes write and give talks about what I do uh, to anyone willing to <laughs> entertain me for 10 minutes. Um, but yeah, I currently work uh, in this sort of education sector, so running um, I work at a company where we run uh, free online courses that anyone can take and sign up to and learn with each other uh, via the web. So Rachel, why have we brought James into the studio today? Well, because um, I like to have a punch-up with my computer every now and then. Um, Mostly it wins um, (laughs) by sending me various error messages that I don't understand. And I think it's it or me. And so what I want to know, James, is are computers going to kill us all? Um, well, A, yes. Good, um, right, sure, finished. <laughs> we can all go home. They have the capacity to. Sure. Um, well, they sort of do and they don't in in in, in different ways. Um, so we might the question be, how are computers going to kill us? Mm. Right, well, um, yeah, so there's this, I mean, I, do, do you mean sort of like every day a computer is just going to make a dumb mistake? Uh, or in in the sort of big Skynet is coming. Well, I think there are sort of lots of levels that you can answer the question on. I mean, as you just <laughs> as you just pointed out, so it was a deliberately vague question mm. <laughs> to see to see where it could go. Because I suppose on the one hand, it is about, it's really about you know our involvement with computers and how much they kind of run our life a little bit, isn't it? It's sort of on, yeah. on a sort of a micro level they do. So you, they... you're as much worried about. If we rely on computers, what happens when they fail? Like, so, I mean, what we're good example: self-driving car, right? Right. If self-driving cars all decide, or not even just decide to turn against us, just fail at the same time. Right. Um, so there is. Um, I was reading something the other day, which I'm very bad at remembering where where, where I read things. But that, like one one thing that the people who are making uh, self-driving cars, which are not really they're, they're not robots, they are. Um, I guess more like pre-programmed cars, like they have maps loaded into them and they know where to go. They're also doing some real-time analysis of the environment to figure out, um, you know, to avoid hitting stuff. Um, so one thing those cars need to do, uh, or a problem that people are running into, is like as a programmer of one of those things, you have to make some like moral decisions about mm-hmm. how it should deal with things where it's going to fail right because computing systems fail um you can't just like all mechanical things they will definitely fail at some point and the question is like how you make them fail safely so um for example a self-driving car could be uh 
going down a street and someone might run out in front of it, but avoiding that person might direct the car into a big crowd of people. Mm-hmm. Um, or cause a pileup. Right. Um, so, yeah, there are those sorts of situations that a human driving a car has to sort of make a, a split-second decision about to sort of figure out what the safest thing to do. And to some extent, the safest thing to do is a sort of, you know, ethical question of, like... Hit one person or hit yeah. lots of people. Yeah. Um, so there, there are scenarios that you can envision where it, it, it's sort of, like, is it... Well, one, one question that people are, are wrestling with is, like, should the car... Uh, sacrifice the people inside it in order to save the people outside it. Like, mm. if uh, if it would be safer, for example, for it to crash into a wall to avoid hitting a big group of pedestrians, but that would kill everyone inside. Can I pay more for a car that doesn't make that decision? <laughs> a this, is the car. This, is, this is That's the next <laughs> question. I want a really selfish car. <laughs> that's the next question you get to, because who would buy a car that is programmed kill to them. kill them? Right. <laughs> Um, so it becomes a little bit of a sort of self-defeating like some of your decisions about what what it should do then come down to like no one will buy it if it's programmed to do to mm. you know to, to not put its owner first mm. um, but that, that you're right that is unethical isn't it right well is it though well the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the needs of the one I mean, mm. we've all learned that from Canon, right? Right. Um, yeah. So does this mean that if you're if you're studying computing, you also have to study philosophy as well? <laughs> it probably ought to, but it doesn't. Um, so who, how, when, how do those ethical decisions sort of get? How do you discuss them as a as a programmer? How does that kind of get woven into your thinking, or or is it mm-hmm. just like we don't know how to deal with this? It just sounds like self driving cars are a really crap idea. Right. <laughs> Let's scrap it. So, like, I haven't been in a situation where I've had to design anything that... had to think about anything but an individual user. And I also haven't worked on anything that was remotely dangerous. Mm. Um, Unless you count... Education's a dangerous thing. It is, for sure. Um, But, like, I, you know, I work on the web. I don't program machinery or um, transport or medical devices or anything like that. So do you think there is a kind of, um, do you think philosophy should be incorporated into, I mean, if, if this is the way that programming is going, is that something that should be considered? It's something that needs to, so, well, to sort of, like, to go to where things are rather than where where they should be. Um, like, Technology as a sort of industry isn't really set up to think about anything like collective. Mm. Um, like it's very based in sort of individual individualist capitalism, and um, design decisions tend to be made around um, that that individual interacting with mm-hmm. it. Or it might be that a group of people interact with it, but it is the 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 people who are directly interacting with something with with something are the the people who are considered usually either because they bought it or we can make more money out of them or something um, the people who are in an environment where the software operates but aren't directly working with it aren't sort of considered so much so those sort of externalities um, which are more sort of collective things like what is the effect of this software on 
society rather mm. than just on an individual user um, don't really get a lot of airtime and that's partly because of the the sort of it, like economic factors that drive how technology companies make money in a sense um, is there anything like a code of ethics for like a programming programmer's professional body like there was in like construction and and you know, or, or, or medicine, medicine or right. I guess law, those sorts of professions? Um, so, well, there isn't even a professional body. Like, you don't need any... Uh, um, beyond the most... Uh, I don't know about most, but a lot of um, employers will ask for a computer science degree. Um, yeah, there isn't any sort of, you know, chartered association of, of programmers or certainly any kind of like ethics review system mm. of, of of the industry at, at large um, so yeah it's a very um, and this is sort of what we were talking about earlier it's very it's very libertarian it's run by very libertarian people um, and the way that it operates is, is very libertarian sort of a lot of the people who work in technology bristle at the idea of being kind of regulated and um, and all that sort of thing um, which isn't to say that, that that they don't care. You see an awful lot of writing and talks about how we can consider our users better, um, but it's not sort of codified anywhere. Um, and there's no recourse, there's no redress if someone is seen to sort of overstep the mark in some way. Um, not into... I mean, I suppose, you know, if, if, if Google builds a car and... And, and then the car kills people like I mean people would sue Google yeah. that would be so the it's, sort of it's, like it's, in Death Race 2000 it's dependent on the, it's that sort of capitalist market self-regulation kind of idea yeah, if we like, build a crap product or a dangerous product no one will buy it and therefore yeah or yeah. we'll get sued yeah. or um, in some cases there will be like criminal consequences but it's, it's mostly yeah the sort of market and civil level that that kind of stuff comes up Talking about, I mean, we talk about the sort of thing, uh, non-deliberate ways that machines are going to kill us. <laughs> but to go back to the deliberate ones. I mean, Google had bought what looked like incredibly sophisticated physical robots. Right. So, are you sure they're not actively trying to build an army to overthrow us? But you, you talk about the the dog thing the dog and the yeah these robots that are like they're four-legged and you, yeah. you kick them over and they get back up again and then like nibble you to death or something yeah i assume that's the principle so that's those weren't developed by google they google bought the company yep. uh, and that company has military contracts so yeah some of those uh um some of what that company does is um like those kinds of things they're sort of when they're presented to uh, audiences to go look how impressive that is it's for like oh it's for search and rescue or right. uh, whatever it is but um, yeah like they, they they have military contracts so there's there's probably all sorts of stuff going on that we are not told about in the shiny presentation mm. um, I don't know it, I don't I don't really know that it's like Google wants to build an army I mean that's 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 sort of but that contravene the don't be evil um, directive. <laughs> yeah. Um. Although actually they're not Google anymore, are they? They're Alphabet. Google, which used to be the name, the overarching name of 
the company right. has is now a subsidiary of a bigger company called Alphabet. So they've had a kind of a restructuring where Google is one bit, and then all the other things that they want to do um, will be other subsidiaries, all owned by this company called Alphabet. Oh, I see. So the robots and um, the the home, what are they, the the sort of smart home thermostat yeah, type things, and I, I think sort of separate. <coughs> so, um, and I seem to remember. Um, some reading somewhere that in that restructuring the don't be evil um, have disappeared. Ha, no, it hasn't disappeared. But someone, uh, some commentator said, "Ooh, we think it's been watered down a bit." Sometimes um, be evil. Sometimes <laughs> try not to be evil. Yeah, better not. Mm. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of a nonsensical company statement to have. Like, I mean, <clears throat> I don't, I don't really think companies have the ability to to be good or evil in and of themselves. Um, there are things that they do, well, the, there's things that people in them do, and then there's things that the whole structure does. Um, but it's, it's just sort of a, a, you know, oh, it's, you can't really, it's, it's not like falsifiable, you can't see any reason to put that above the door, other than to be able to excuse anything that anyone does. Mm-hmm. Um, in a kind of, we can't possibly, this can't be a bad thing because right. look, this is our motto. Right. We've been following this very, very carefully and when we built that robot army, we were definitely not being able <laughs> Right, but so, like, it's not, I think when you when you say like, does, does Google want an army? I don't think it's really in, in the sense of like, you know, there is a sort of maniacal despot at the top of Google who is, you know, literally trying to take over the world. Um, like if there is a dystopian side to Google, it's much more, I suppose, subtle than that. It's in all the sort of stuff that you can't see. Um, so, I guess what's what's an example of that? So you, uh, yeah, a sort of the question of computers going to kill us all. I sort of I like the way that you phrase that because it's very like passive, right? It gives computers agency, mm. right? It's like computers will kill us. Um, and there's this quote that gets recycled all the time in, in uh, technology circles, which um, Mark Andreessen, who was one of the original engineers at Netscape and is now a very powerful venture capitalist, uh, is often quoted as saying, uh, software is eating the world, um, which is another sort of passive mm. statement but about what, software rather than what does the hardware. Mean? Well, that's, that's the... Th- yeah, that's exactly the question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like I think it's offered the, the way it's used I think it's often interpreted as meaning like well look how much software there is now like it as it runs our lives right um, okay. but it's sort of like coming from him it's not like that that phrasing it passively is a little bit disingenuous because this is a person who finances the production of a lot of mm. the software that gets people to say that, right? Mm. The stuff that's on your phones, the stuff that's in your web browser, um, the web browser itself, which he was one of the original contributors to. Um, so when when he says that, it's sort of putting aside the fact that it's his money that is, uh, and his decisions that are fueling agent. what exists mm. and what's valuable and what gets built. And in fact, that we're all agents in that. I mean, we always have the option to switch the off button. Right. Um, but it's a question of whether that is a 
like whether that decision is valuable to you. Mm. So a lot of the strategy of um, probably the most obvious example would, would be Facebook. Like a lot of the, the strategies of, of big tech companies is around network effects. Like once you're sort of locked in, once all your friends are on Facebook, yeah. mm. it's very difficult for you to not be on it because that's how you get invited to events and that's how where everyone talks to each other and all that sort of thing. So that creates a very sort of powerful lock-in. So it's kind of costly to, to not use it. We resisted until 18 months ago when I had to join for work purposes because I was either going to get locked out of a project that I'd been working on for six months oh, or I had to join Facebook. Right. And it was a real, like, damn, yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to avoid this. I was perfectly mm. happy without it. Right. I know plenty of people who are in the, in the same boat. It's like, like working on software, you have the same thing because every site wants to integrate with Facebook. So I was like, oh, I need a Facebook account so that I can program the thing that was, will integrate more stuff into Facebook. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's um, certainly all of the sort of social media stuff works around the sort of, you know, the compulsion of the network to get people mm. to participate in it. Um, anything that's a bit more individual transactional it's very easy for you to say, oh, I don't need that anymore. Mm. I'll turn it off. Mm. Um, but those those aren't the companies that tend to get, you know, the billion-dollar valuations. Like, a lot of the, yeah, the things that we think of as tech have some social or network factor to them. Mm. They have, yeah, so they, they have a perceived social value which gives them economic value, even if that economic value isn't then initially realised, I mean, Facebook was in trouble for a long time when it floated and Twitter is having all kinds of economic problems right, right now. So... Yeah. And this um, is... There's that kind of yeah. dissonance between level, you know, uh, markers, indicators of value, I guess, hmm. in that sense. Uh, you hear people, technologists saying, I've seen the future and it's really terrifying, robots are going to be clawing out our eyes and it's feasting on the goo inside. <laughs> right. Now, is there anything that you've seen where you actually go, not just passively because we're obsessed with technology, we rely on it, but actively, and again, not economically because a company is taking over the world and, and it's a horrible business model and, and it's, bad to their, it's bad to its employees, but actual robots marching the streets, kicking down people's doors and, and stamping on human brains. <laughs> I've never, have, I, have I literally seen robots? No, but have, have, no, but have you, if you had seen that, I hope you would have maybe told the police. But um, have you seen anything that... Uh, let, me, let me reel back a bit. Have you seen anything that actually gives you real concern in terms of this technology could, you know, lead to self-organising robots or some sort of uh, power that's beyond human beings' control? Oh, um... That I'm way less convinced about. Yeah. Um, or to sort of very briefly go back to the previous topic before I talk about the the killer robots. All um, right. The. Um, I suppose what I'm far more far more concerned about is the sort of like computers are, are, are quite um, uh, they're mechanical. They're very fundamentally very simple things, mm -hmm. and you put instructions into them, and then they. They, they run them and they don't really they don't know what any of that stuff means and they don't they don't have any agency like when we talk about software eating the world like computers are doing what we have told them to do and we've constructed uh, some economic forces around that that mean that we make computers do some things and not other things and it's all within our control and within the control of the business people that run everything 
Um, there's it's that sort of diff- but like they they do have very complicated sort of emergent behavior right you put simple stuff into them uh, and they can do all sorts of things you don't expect like they can fail in unexpected ways um the things they do can have unexpected social consequences um just like things that weren't nice predictable outcomes of like yeah. you thought you were doing this simple thing um and I s- suppose that informs like how how scared I am of of of, of the killer robots is that I, I sort of work with these things every day and I you sort of get a very keen sense for mm. how just what a what a sort of in in a way what a just blunt tool they are. So it is more likely that a killer robot would fall over and crush your dog than eat your brains. Or it's more that. Um, I think when when people say killer robot, they they they're expecting Skynet or the Singularity or um, some sort of intelligent, self-aware, creative um, right yeah being right um, as opposed to something that just does processing very quickly right that we've Logic told it to do quickly yeah. so even things that are robots that can um, in some sense learn learn in either prescribed ways that we have programmed into them or they learn um, in a slightly less well-defined way but using structures that we have invented Mm. and those have all sorts of really interesting emergent behavior Um, and we can build very sophisticated robots that can you know climb trees and run on treadmills and and do all sorts of amazing stuff but those those aren't doing those things at all of their own volition like mm. we control the production of those mm-hmm. things um, and so yeah I, I, I suppose like I don't um, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's more that I believe that it's sort of not you know the computers are quite stupid means that we will never progress them to this state where they will sort of of their own volition decide to take up arms against us or that I have enough faith in humanity that like I just don't think we'll build something that will do that but it's enti- like because they have surprising emergent behaviour it's entirely possible that we'll do it by accident someday mm. I mm. suppose kind of comes back to where we started you might programme the, the self-driving car that it will drive into the wall if faced with you know a crowd someone running out into the street or its occupants but it might there might be a glitch and it might sort of run into the crowd and then swerve back and run over the person who was in the middle of right. the road you just don't yeah. you don't know at this point in the show we normally ask our guests and we're going to ask you as well um, what is a question that you would like to ask your field? A question that's not asking or not doing a very good job of answering. I suppose that comes back to what we were talking earlier uh, about, like we are, we're kind of failing to do anything collective, which is partly to do with the politics of Silicon Valley, which funds most of the software that mm-hmm. you use. Um, so it's partly a sort of. Uh, political and economic problem um, but it's so there's this um, emerging uh, field known as like the, the internet of things right we're going to put connectivity stuff inside of all your household objects and they're going like your fridge realises you've run out of milk and it right. owns the supermarket yes yeah. so that is uh, again an individual transaction thing. that's like a, a sort of very marginal labour-saving device for an individual. Mm-hmm. 
what I want to know is why aren't we putting more effort into if we're going to make all our stuff smart why why are we focused on these marginal labor saving for individual things why mm. aren't we trying to go like and there is a little bit of this with the sort of you know your smart thermostat will make your home use less energy like energy is a really hard thing to solve because we only have blunt things like pricing and tax to make people use less of it right um but it's a thing we need to collectively deal with mm-hmm. um and so i suppose like if i wanted to see like more way more value actually being extracted from technology is not focusing on sort of marginal little uh life improvements for individuals is like how how do we build systems that will solve these big collective problems um and that sort of get us away a little bit from everything being a sort of individual transactional process. I know that's not a very sort of pithy that's a really good ending answer. question. No, but, but it's a really good, it's a really interesting, it comes back to, I mean, again, it's the sort of the ethics and philosophy and um, and the economics, but in a broad, in a broader sense. I mean, yeah. are there ever, are there sort of conferences or discussions where tech people get together with economics professors and philosophers and all the rest of it and kind of bounce these ideas around does that does that exist as a thing i mean i'm somewhat you know complicit in this in in, in that i don't know mm-hmm. um there they there may well be there are certainly conferences where technologists get together and talk about more progressive things than how can we make more advertising money mm-hmm. um i just don't know how holistic those events are yeah, it because it sounds like it's a broader yeah social political economic discussion yeah. than just something that tech people can discuss on their right. own right uh, so one th- one thing that has happened uh, it's been going on for for quite a while now is people people trying to build sort of distributed social networks that aren't controlled by one big body like a Facebook or a Twitter mm-hmm. or Google or what have you um, and <clears throat> those projects have very noble intentions but I can like there to me there are sort of two fundamental things wrong with them one is that they tend to be run by people who are sort of already privileged in the system. Like people who are like programming is mostly run by like straight white guys. And those are the sort of people who are also creating these projects. So if a lot of the rationale for wanting to remove all of this control from systems is so that it harms marginalized people less and they have more control over their own platform and voice and what is done with their data Mm -hmm. and um you know yeah people who are genuinely at risk from information about them being too widely distributed Mm. aren't the people who are building these sort of um yeah these uh these these distributed systems but it's also it's it's an it's an economic problem like it's not there are a lot there are a lot of things where um for example, I can quite easily get some software off the shelf to run my own email server, but I don't. I use Gmail because it's mm. easier. Yeah. Um, like there is, this is not just a technical problem; it's an economic problem. Like there are reasons why people prefer to use the big monopoly systems, mm. and that includes most technologists who have the capability to pretty much do whatever they want. Mm. So, yeah, a lot of those things have to bring in like the political and the economic side to go like what are the factors that drive this structure and how do we take those apart yeah. and not just build more software? Yeah. And how to challenge those 
concentrations of power like right. the Facebooks and the Googles and the Apples of the world um, who you know are very powerful right absolutely um, so yeah probably the ultimate uh, solution is just take capitalism apart but we're a way off that <laughs> 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 well, once we've finished, finished Reforming Society, uh, we'll be back with another episode of Brain Train. I've been your host, Martin Zotzorstwick, and thank you very much to our guests this episode, Rachel Suhani and James Cockle.